Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Hi, I am Mary Kay. And I'm Louise. And together we are Novel Gazing, the podcast that talks literary fiction. Although today we are also going to talk about literary nonfiction, mm. which uh, we'll get into in just a second. But I feel like because at this point in our lives, time is nebulous, we should let you know we're recording today's show on April 14th. So if anything juicy happens between now and the time that you're hearing this, know that we're not ignoring it on purpose. We're just... We'll catch it. You know, it hasn't happened to us yet. (laughs) Um, So on today's show, we'll discuss current affairs and news from the literary fiction world, literary nonfiction, Mm. and our current reads. Um, I also want to take this moment to ask y'all, if you like our show, please rate and review and tell all your friends to subscribe to us on really anywhere that you catch your podcasts. But um, uh, on Apple, particularly, that helps other people find us. So if you were like, oh, I'm really enjoying this, um, don't hesitate to let the rest of the world know. We'll also put <laughs> like signs in your yard, posters in your window. We're quite happy right. for like flexible interpretation of this but yeah it's all <laughs> right. good We'd anything you can do <laughs> yeah skywriting yeah. feel free uh oh i love that idea mm. if more people were outside i feel like that could be really effective but <laughs> i bet the prices are somewhat uh lowered at the moment oh gosh yeah no they closed the beaches so it's a deal um, it's a deal it's a deal right please and thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we also want to take a moment to hear a word from our sponsors who make this possible Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. All right, so let's open up today with talking about news and current affairs. And as Mary Kay said, this is all slightly bearing in mind what is time, what are news, (laughs) who is current affairs, what is going on. It's like my life is buffering. Yeah, so (laughs) this is is what we've got now, in this precise moment that we are here. And uh, we wanted to... um, open i think with the international booker prize shortlist right yes and i also wanted to tell you i just got a ups delivery and i'm pretty sure it's the author copies of my book and i 
am so excited to wow. open that box. But it's sitting right next to me. I'm just letting the germs on it die <sighs> before I get in there. Anyway, um, yes, I do want to talk about the International Booker Prize. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I haven't gotten to tell anybody yet because that, that package just came and I'm real excited about it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, so this is the International Booker Prize, uh, which the shortlist, and it's all but one of the um, books is written by a woman. And I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, we've talked about this before, haven't we? The gender parity in um, awards and how it breaks down. So to have it so predominantly women voices is a really exciting thing. It is. And I really yes. liked the selection that they had as well. Me too. And I was looking at it and it seems like a lot of the translators are women as well. Yeah. I think which that's, is cool. It is. It's um nice to have that connection through the book, as it were. Like mm-hmm. the people involved in it and the packaging it of and and the presenting of it and the translation of it to be women. So yeah, keep it up. Yeah, I loved that. And then I also noticed in this article, and we will link to it in our show notes. So if y'all want to read it, you you will be able to um, easily get to it. Um, don't like pull your car over to jot it down or anything. We took the yeah, notes no, for you. Don't do that. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and it uh, they were splitting the prize between the author and the translator 50-50, which I thought is interesting. It is. And it's nice that to... Um have that recognition of the impact of the translator i mean really Mm. it is um i because i I know we talked about this on our prior episode about translated uh literary fiction but so oftentimes um i i would forget like what an important role that was of the translator because um if i'm only reading in one language it sort of limits my access um exactly it's just really interesting and it's like a really um visible invisibility as it were so Mm -hmm. if they are so present because it's their book in one sense they are translating it and making it happen and finding the shape of it in this new language but equally Mm -hmm. you don't have to be you shouldn't be almost aware of their choices Mm -hmm. so it's such um, a delicate balance to play so yeah this is a great shortlist it's so good very cool yeah i just wanted to I mean, I don't have a whole lot of like insight into the award or anything. I just thought it was interesting and wanted to share it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if you're after yeah. um, a good shortlist to start reading and start working through, then this is a great place to start. There's some cracking people. Yeah, I um um I haven't read any of those books. Like, um, well, I'm going to. I mean, I haven't read them yet, mm-hmm. but um, I just thought that was. I know we're all wrestling really cool. with the whole when did we last go to the library slash bookshop thing, aren't we? Yes. I know. Oh, <laughs> yes, God, it's we been are. weeks. I miss my shelves. I know. I've followed um, so many new, like, publishers and authors and everyone on social media just so I can, like, have the, I guess, like, surrogate experience of yeah. what's new in yeah. the world. <laughs> it's still, like, there is still literature out there. It, it's still happening. Right. And there's some comfort in knowing, like, I'm not the only one who's missing out. Like, it's the whole world is kind of stalling. Mm. Um, I mean, for good reason, of course. But Yeah, I think one of the things is, um, at this point in time, it's actually really hard to read. And so it's so difficult. And finding those moments of 
connection with the, the things that you love and the things that you enjoy it it's what keeps you going in some sense mm-hmm. so yeah um head towards the international booker um shortlist and make your library reservations now get them on your order list your um bookshop wish lists because it'll be something great to look forward to yeah all right so on a what's what are we gonna, what are you going to tell us about well it's on a similar note right um i've been okay. thinking a lot about the gaps in my reading and the gaps mm-hmm. of the the sort of theory and the things that i can work on and have a look at and make big lists of people to read once i can go back into the library in the bookshop and hook all the shelves and uh, never let them go <laughs> oh, i know <laughs> so one of the things that i was looking at because i've been doing a lot of reading about gender and identity and thinking what is it that makes you who you are and mm-hmm. the things that construct that representation of self and i was starting to realize that the voices that i read in this were very heteronormative Mm-hmm. They were very of a particular sort and of a particular gender and context. And in some senses, that's something that I can address now in that I can have mm-hmm. the time to go, actually, no, my reading here isn't representative. It isn't showing me the sorts of voices that I want to be hearing from about this kind of topic. And so I was looking at this really interesting article. And again, we'll pop this in the notes below. So no pulling over of your car or anything. <laughs> we don't want that on our conscience. Um, <laughs> but it's an interview with uh, Juliet Jakes uh, with an author called Mackenzie Walk about her new book, which is Reverse Cowgirl. And this is all about the uh, future of trans literature and where it can go and what it should be and what it can say and kind of breaking away from the stereotypes of what trans authors are quote unquote supposed to write about mm-hmm. so it's so it's a really elegant thick piece of writing in itself it's really worth um stopping and picking out these authors and thinking okay i will read them i'll put them on my good reads i'll i'll find out their stuff but one of the quotes that really resonated with me was where Mackenzie Walk, uh, she describes reverse cowgirl as an autoethnography of the self. And she says that, quote, I wanted to write instead about how we never have any idea who we are. We just move through less or more useful patterns of misunderstanding. And that kind of blew me away a little bit. I just thought, that's it, isn't it? You understand and you misunderstand who you are at certain points in your life. And you kind of move to those points of resolution, but then something slips and something slides away from you. And you kind of have to rebuild and refine and figure out who and what your consciousness is. So, yeah, um, that's the article that I really wanted to share today because it's just so there's so much there. It, there really is. It's it's super fascinating also because it's a conversation. Yes. Um, and. I won't lie when I say like so much of it is stuff that I've never thought of before because mm. I haven't had to, you know. Um, and I think that it's important that we do read outside of our 
I don't want to say comfort zone because it didn't like make me uncomfortable. It's just not like the thing that I fall back on to read. Mm. Is that, um, it's just, it's very interesting. And I think that's one of the biggest purposes of literature is to cultivate empathy. Exactly. Um, and yeah. Well, I, I, I found it really <laughs> I, cool that she pulled into, um, this discussion artists as well. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we there's some beautiful illustrations. There is. In our it is a stunning piece. So yeah, I think sometimes we get a bit wed to, oh, the writers are the only ones that can do words and stories and narratives. But if you think of like modern art in any sense, or even any sort of art, to be fair, let's not restrict it to modern. There is the right. narrative existing within it, and these issues are being discussed. So yeah, I thought it was really cool to pull it all together and just say, look, this is. This is the space that I'm writing in. I liked that. And I I also liked, and I, I might be just reiterating something that you already said, but um, the quote that you pulled about move through it, moving through less or more useful patterns of misunderstanding, like that's sort of what it means to grow for any person. But this, um, this particular movement is unfamiliar to so many people that we should be paying more attention to it yeah exactly and the way the stories are shaped by the the people experiencing and living and and having those stories it's such an important element to be in the world totally and i also think that it was like the part that outraged me the most is like when um i think it was wark was moving th- or, or was reading th- something that told her that she was a fake. Mm. And it's like, okay, but that's not fair though. Yeah. Like, um, and that it just affected her. So like, she said it affected her for years. Mm. And that's just so mean and cruel for someone who, I mean, I don't want to say like you expect it of people who don't understand, but you would think that because you shouldn't like you shouldn't expect that of people to be crappy. You shouldn't expect that shouldn't be like the baseline. But you would think that someone who had gone through a similar experience at least would be able to say like have some point of empathy. Right. Right. And it's like just because my my experience wasn't the exact same as yours doesn't make it okay for you to call me a fake yeah. like what is who is that helping like, what, is what, that? what is that about like what is the urge yeah. that forms such opinions to um i don't know i've never understood the urge behind those kind of expressions i think yeah it's a it's a very mean sort of hurt people hurt people gatekeeping rah 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 thing yeah, yeah. and uh, that's not the that's not these people that the that are talking in the interview they're talking about an experience with another uh, author yeah so, just, just so so listeners know oh yeah so um j J. michael bailey uh the autogynophilia um themed book which was the man who would be queen from 2003 and yeah you're you're bringing up the point where Mackenzie Walk talks about there being quote bad transsexual women who transition in order to become their own object of desire and that's such a a lot i don't think um 
you can comment on that unless you've had that journey. But as you say, you can't or you shouldn't be working to find the levels of appropriate journeys, you know? Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. It just and I have not read that book and that this is not my experience, so I don't know how entitled I am to have an opinion about this, but I do think that it seems mean unnecessarily. Yeah. I think there's um a way to phrase things, isn't there? And to find those journeys and to find those, um, mm. like we, we're never saying don't critique or don't, um, no, right. analyze or try and understand something, but there's a point where you can go into a slightly more, hmm, how to say, a different space. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, don't be mean and don't pull your car off the road is the lessons from today. <laughs> Those right? are the moral takeaways. Yeah, we're here to help. <laughs> Everybody be nice and safe. Yeah, nice <laughs> and safe and try and remember what day it is because we're struggling on that one a little bit. Totally, yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, should we hear a word from our sponsors? I think that's a good point. point for it, yeah. I think it's a nice time to hear from them. Okay, so literary nonfiction. Literary nonfiction, yeah. Um, so where to begin? We Louise and I talked about where to actually begin this episode because we began our whole podcast explaining what we think literary fiction is. Episode right? zero, if you're wanting that. Episode zero. Right. We defined literature in two words or less. <laughs> Basically, we just did a real quick crash like, course start on ambitious. That. Go big or go home. Right. Um, and we decided or we kind of fell into the idea that it might be nice to do a similar thing with literary nonfiction for this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, my Master's of Fine Arts is in creative nonfiction. So I was like, I'll do it. I can do yeah, it. Yeah. And as I and as I am looking at this now, it's like, okay, I'm gonna try to really just break neck speed, burn rubber through the definitions. Go, go. And I think that well, I felt like the easiest way to do it is to just kind of relay the way that my creative writing teacher taught me about it my sophomore year of college. Uh-huh. So what she did is essentially uh, actually uh she wrote the words creative nonfiction on the board and said what do these words mean like just define them individually and what we came up with as a class is you're essentially making up the truth yeah so you're you're taking some true facts like everything that can check out should check out that's kind of the contract you go into with your reader is like you're not going to intentionally mislead them mm-hmm. um and then you create the narrative out of it. So that's like a really broad terms definition of what uh, creative nonfiction is. And when you add literary nonfiction, you you compound that definition by saying like it stands for something bigger than it is, essentially. Yeah. So that's um, I the, the parameters that I work in as a reader. Or as and as a writer of creative nonfiction, which I like to think is also literary. And of course, we talked about before that literature, in scare quotes, is somewhat subjective. So, 
uh, we could disagree whether Harry Potter is literary and <laughs> that doesn't make either of us wrong. You know, like it's, it's somewhat subjective. Yeah. Um, and your own personal taste will come into account for that. Um, if you are interested in learning more about the theory of uh, literary nonfiction, I recommend um, the book Reading Autobiography, A Guide for Interpreting Life Narratives by Julia Watson and Sydney Smith. Um, that The version that I had came out, I believe, in 2001, but I am almost positive there have been multiple editions of it, yeah. as there are with books of theory. So um, I recommend that one because it, it, it pairs down some very complex ideas about what it means to write yourself, mm-hmm. but in very understandable language. So I like that one because even though it is theory, you can it's accessible you can get that yes um and there's nothing more aggravating to me than someone who is clearly a genius feeling like they have to show me that they're a genius through the (laughs) through (laughs) through explaining things in like an esoteric or it's intentionally confusing syntax like there's nothing more frustrating than that like already like the idea is super complex you that means your writing should be super simple um but yeah I I really liked this book I've taught out of it several times when I was teaching creative nonfiction. um so I recommend that one and I again will link to that in the show notes in case you're into it Mm -hmm. um and now we want to talk about some of our favorite literary nonfiction texts yeah, it's so um, yeah. big, isn't it? It's, it? When you think of it, and where yeah. do you begin, and where do you uh, boil this down to? But I think your your point about the notion of truth and autobiography is a really mm-hmm. relevant one, and it mm-hmm. reminds me. I have a, a friend who just finished her PhD in um, the truth of self narrative, so autobiography, and how true are the stories that we tell ourselves. Right. Because we make it up, don't we? We say, oh, I did this. And, you know, the relationship that that bears to the truth can be so distant and so magically uh, otherworldly because we we look at it through a very particular perspective. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So um, one of the big potent ones for me that I wanted to talk about was Virginia Woolf, A Room of One's Own, Mm -hmm. which... Is again, it's one of those big British books that can be a little bit scary at some sense, in mm-hmm. that they're so weighed down with culture and resonance and references, and the sort of book that if you mention, you know, a vast amount of people will go, Oh, yes, I have deep thoughts on that. Let's talk to you for about um, three days about it, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I'm never, I, I get scared by slightly. Um. Yeah, so A Room of One's Own The point of this was to Explore the opportunities that Men had in comparison to women And to kind of Investigate that And she did that really amazingly Through inventing a fictional character Person um, Called Judith Shakespeare Mm-hmm. So Judith is the other Shakespeare, but due to the fact that she is a woman, due to the fact that she suffers the conspiracy of um, oppression that all that entails. So Judith dies in um, poverty and 
she is forgotten about and she is equally as talented as Shakespeare and basically Mm -hmm. because she does not have the opportunities of the masculine experience her Mm -hmm. work disappears from the world and framing all that life within this kind of fictional but very true narrative it's an amazing piece of work and it's so blunt it's like look she just woke up that day and went I've had enough this is the story that I have to write and this is the the way that I have to frame it so yeah mm-hmm. uh Virginia Woolf all the way and it's um a text that opened me up to the rest of her stuff so I'm slowly wading through it as I am with um the Brontes I think I mentioned one of the other shows this kind of unfurling of British women's writing is so interesting because they have these massive big stories that don't easily fit within the world because the world wasn't able to hear them at that point right yeah so um I think with this topic I always start I'll start always with Virginia Woolf um I love that I also when I was studying had a real hard time with the gray area that separates nonfiction from fiction. Mm. Um, and by a real hard time, I mean, I refuse to accept <laughs> <laughs> the line. I refuse to accept it. So uh, I got in trouble a lot when, when I was in, or not in trouble, but like lightly scolded. Of like, <laughs> um, this is not nonfiction because you can't back it up with facts. Right. And, and uh, to, to, to defend myself, I would be like, well, can you disprove it with facts? Because if that, if you can't do that, I feel like I'm doing fine. Um, <laughs> the end. And there's, <laughs> right. So uh, it really just depends on the perspective of it. And I think it's important to note as well that uh, a lot of fiction is nonfiction. It just had to be packaged as fiction so that it could sell. Um, everything is everything we return to like the basic (laughs) point of these shows everything is everything nothing is real yeah and i and i think also uh it's at the time it wasn't fair to me that we had to distinguish prose from being fiction or nonfiction, but not poetry Mm. like no one cares that that's true do you know what and i I use true in scare quotes again (laughs) i think those um boundaries it's really strange like we're quite determined i don't know about the american education system by any means but um in school and education here very early on there's like this very conscious establishment of the boundaries this is this this is that and you have to know which is which and which is what um right but then as you grow up you're kind of like there are no boundaries everything is everything as we say and I don't know, why did I spend all these years fanatically sorting fiction versus nonfiction? Right. And, oh, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know either. And I, it's something that has troubled me with my own writing. Um, but I also tend to gravitate towards uh, fantastical sort of nonfiction and like one of my Mm -hmm. favorite contemporary nonfiction writers Elena Passarello says um is it true is about the least interesting question you can ask Uh, of literary nonfiction well done Um, Elena I 
I love her so much. I want to be her friend so bad. You don't understand. Okay. Um, but, uh, and I, I fell in love with her, one of her, uh, I think it might be her first collection of essays, like published as a collection, which is called Let Me Clear My Throat, which is, um, a series of essays about the human voice. And it starts off with Marlon Brando, Stella Scream, and Streetcar Named Desire. Oh, so, good place. <laughs> which is already, um, yeah, right. So let's start talking about My One True Love, Stanley Kowalski. Anyway, um, <laughs> I love that book of essays. Um, it, she's amazing and fantastic, and it's super fun as well. Um, she, in that book, writes about uh, the, the Castrati from Italian opera as well. So it's, it like, it has a range in that book. Um, And one of my most formative, I think, books of nonfiction is by Lauren Slater, and it's called Lying, a Metaphorical Memoir, um, which is, I think, maybe one of the first things I read that made me be like, well, what is the truth then? What is it? like? (laughs) Just what is truth? Yeah, she just says, um, the first chapter is I exaggerate. That's the whole chapter. And I I think that it's a really smart way of setting that book up because she says up front, don't trust me. I'm going to lie to you. And if if that is the true nature of herself, then it is nonfiction Mm -hmm. because that's who she is. She's full of lies. So um, I really like those two. Um, And I'm not saying that she is a liar. I think that's just... No, she's not because you. She tells you yeah. <laughs> that she's going to lie to you up front, so you trust her, at, or she's telling the truth the whole time, so you trust her. So it's like really just establishing that connection with your reader up front that lets them know, like, here's the deal, here's the yeah. contract. Yeah, it's like that um, frame, isn't it, where you go, okay, this is what you should be expecting here, and this is how I'm going right. to play around with it. Right. And if, and if you don't like that contract, well, this is not the book for you. Yeah. Off you pop. <laughs> right. Like, and, that, and, that, and I think that is okay. And I think it's a pretty honest way of going about being dishonest. I love that sentence. Thanks. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I took it from Jackie Brown. Oh, no, um, fair enough. I, I love that movie so much when, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but Samuel L. Jackson says, I can't trust Melanie, but I can trust Melanie to be Melanie. <laughs> it's like, I know what she's going to do. Like, she's consistent. She's untrustworthy the whole time. Um, yeah, so uh, another of my favorites, actually, I have uh, two that kind of lean into the sort of speculative nonfiction territory. Uh Uh, One of them is Woman Warrior, A Girlhood Among Ghosts, and that's by Maxine Hong Kingston. Um, It it is a memoir, but it also is essays, so each of them stands alone too. Um, She writes about her family through ghosts. She's Chinese-American in the, I believe, 60s and 70s is when she's writing this book. Uh, one of them is No Name Woman, where she has an aunt who may or may not exist, but still haunts her regardless. Um, she also tells the story of uh, one of the stories of her upbringing through the mythology of Fa Mulan. Oh, so, nice. like, she becomes the warrior. Yeah, that's the the yeah. name of the the book. Um, so, I really love her as well. And then another sort of uh, truthy, I think is how I would say it. Okay. Um, truthy 
literary nonfiction, which is also literary journalism, which I think is a whole nother subgenre that is super Ooh, yeah. fun, is uh, Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, is a, a Savage Journey to the to Heart the of the American Dream. Yeah. yeah, it is so good. It's just, it's, uh, and people discredit it as like, you know, junkie lit or whatever, but um, it's just, it's so action packed mm. and his verbs are so visceral and it's, it's still accessible as a person who doesn't really do drugs. Like yeah. I can still read it and understand what's happening. And yet if he does as many drugs as he does, that's an unreliable narrator right there. Like there's <laughs> no way that you remember things. I love it. Just on the points like, of practicality, there is some unreliability here. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But we still, I mean, it's still journalism kind of. Yeah. He's supposed to go and report this, uh, street race that I don't I barely remember that from the book like Mm. he was there kind of but I don't like that wasn't the point um so I think that that sort of gonzo journalism is super interesting to me as well especially and I felt like it was relevant to our podcast because we're supposed to be talking about fiction Mm -hmm. but this is non-fiction but some people would say well you lied to me so it's not but if they tell you up front like this is how many drugs I was on and this is what happened you can't trust that. You know, like, you know, just, just, no. I mean, yeah, even he says in that book, you can turn your back on a person, but you can't turn your back on a drug. So it's like, yeah. what is the truth? Yeah. It's such um, a book of like um, sensation, isn't it? And feeling. It really and is. You, you, as you say, you might not necessarily understand the massive frames of uh, references that he pulls on. But my goodness, like you feel that book. You feel every inch of it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Some of those descriptions are just so... Like, when there's bats flying at their head mm. that aren't really there. Like, God. or are they? It's so cool. Yeah. Um, you want to go next? Uh, yeah. So, um, these all kind of are starting to pull together some ideas, aren't they? These references that mm-hmm. it's playing around with truth, it's playing around with family and people and narratives and the story of... Um, and the story of like life, you know, who you mm-hmm. are and what you're going to be in that. So I wanted to throw um, two comics into the mix here. Yeah, I know. Do it. I love, I love it. Um, I always get really bored with people who go, "Oh, literary fiction is just 500 pages written by a middle-aged man having a poor sex life." I was like, "No, no, it's not." <laughs> I mean, it can be, yeah. but it doesn't have That's to just be. Not all it is. <laughs> Uh, it's a squares and rectangles situation. Yeah, let's, let's have a circle. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I am going to plump for uh, Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi and yes. Fun Home by Alison Bechdel. And mm-hmm. they are such brilliant non-fiction, literary fiction, hybrid comics that talk about identity and who it is to live in the world that is complicated and messy yes and to keep um going in a sense to keep existing and to keep being and to keep fighting for the parts of the existence that have your name on it so yeah yes i love i love both of those they're so good right yes they make my absolute day so yeah i really wanted to throw them in and again they're big big comics at this point you will know of things like the Bechdel test you will Mm -hmm. know of Persepolis from the massive animation Mm -hmm. that it had 
And if you've not gone to them because of that, and I used to not go to big things because, I don't know, intimidation or just boredom, right? You, you think, what space is there for me to read this thing mm-hmm. that has been read by everyone else in the world? I don't know if that's, I liked, I don't know if that's like a selfish read or something, but you want to feel like when you read a book, it has that personal individual connection. And sometimes I feel with the big, big things that it doesn't matter if I read it or not. Everyone's also almost um, read it for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but Persepolis and Fun Home, they don't have that. They have that real intimacy of connection and they make you think about so much. Mm-hmm. I just remember weeping my way through like half of Persepolis, just thinking, this isn't about family at this point. It's just about how right. to be brave. Mm-hmm. It's just about how to be brave in the most troublesome and challenging of of situations. So yeah, they're the, they're the two that I wanted to throw in at this point. I I love both of those books. Um, I read Persepolis a little bit more recently, so mm. I can recall that one a little bit more clearly. But I learned so much, uh, just like historical, yeah, even information if you read them, from that book. There's so many levels that you can pick up from them. And with stuff like um, Iranian history and that, we get presented a very particular perspective of it. And this touches to the article Mm -hmm. that um, I mentioned earlier. We get very particular perspectives from the narratives that we are given. And it's up to us to to find new narratives that have an intimacy with that subject and to understand it afresh from that perspective. Yes, um, totally. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, I think again, that's one of the real values of literature, and one of the main purposes of it, right, is to like get you information in a way that makes you care about it. Yeah, and I think that book really does that, and Fun Home as well. I just, again, that was, it's a little less like familiar to me more recently. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, and I, I wanted to I have just, let's see, I think I have just three more books um, that I wanted to talk about. Go ahead, uh, go but for they, it. But they do um, what those books do, which is bring, uh, I don't even know if it's insight so much as perspective. One of them I've talked about on here before, so I'll just briefly name drop Roots by Alex Haley. Um, if you've already read Roots, do the autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. That's a time like a mind meld as well because he wrote someone else's autobiography, which is not mm. generally how that word works. Um but it both of them are awesome. Um the other two that I wanted to talk about are like more uh they're more sciencey. They're still literature. I don't know that I would call them literary literary journalism but I would call them literary nonfiction. Again, all of these genres and subgenres fold in on themselves. They do. So um, it's somewhere in between, which is, again, where I like to live. So (laughs) Eulabus has a book that came out um, somewhat recently, within like the last five years, uh, called On Immunity. Okay. And it's about her uh, becoming a mother right at the time when uh, there was the pseudoscience celebrity idea that uh, vaccines were actually very harmful Mm -hmm. to children. 
So she talk, she goes into it's a very deep dive in a series of essays about what immunity is now, what it used to be, um, and what we hope that it does later. And it really helped me understand um, the purpose behind immunization. Yeah, and I think it's um, particularly relevant now with our pandemic of like. Um, I don't know if if this news made it all the way across the pond, but uh, a bunch of college kids decided that they weren't going to let a pandemic destroy their spring break. Oh, 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 I have revulsion. What? No. Yeah. Um, And this is the book that I thought of when that happened, because um, people who aren't sick typically don't think about the sick because they don't have to. Yeah. So it's like you're doing actually a lot more damage than you think you're doing by not um by not pulling your weight and helping out other people. So um that book is really well articulated for a person who does not have any medical background <laughs> at all like me. Um and it helped me understand that because I don't know that I would have been like screw it I'm going to the beach anyway, but um I I wouldn't have understand the ram- understood the ramifications of doing that. So, um, that's on immunity. And then the other one that you, most people I feel like have heard of because Oprah starred in the film adaptation, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot is a truly fascinating look into medical history about how uh, one woman's body was exploited without her consent Mm -hmm. and, uh, saves lives on a regular basis. So, like, many things can be true. Um, But it also tells the story of her family and how they're suffering and seeing no benefit from all of the... I don't even know if it was... Well, the contributions, the unwilling, unknowing contributions of uh, their matriarch. So, um, I, I really like that book as well because the author writes herself in there as a character which I think is probably the most responsible way of reporting. Do you know what? That part about the, the character business, it reminds, and this isn't literary fiction nor non-fiction at all, but it reminds me, I don't know, did you ever read Tom Clancy's books? Mm-mm. All right, so Tom Clancy, adventure, thriller, that kind of jazz. Mm-hmm. And he had a recurring character in there called Dirk Pitt. And... Every now and then when Dirk got into an incredible crisis, um, Clive, (laughs) this mysterious figure would appear with the (laughs) solution that he needed and Dirk would go, oh, can you tell me your name? And the guy would go, my name's Clive. (laughs) And then wander (laughs) off into the sunset. And it's the most hysterical yet brilliant author cameo I have ever read. And I love it so much. It's ridiculous. I like that too. It's such a good um, it's such a good technique, isn't it, to put yourself in I, there and to find that voice and that story. Yeah, um Capote does it mm. in in Cold Blood too. He talks about like a reporter doing this thing and it's him. Um and I think it's a way of showing the subjectivity of nonfiction as yeah. well. So it's like maybe if you ask someone else who is there, they wouldn't think the exact same thing that I did. But I'm one person. You know, I see it from this angle or whatever. So, Well, that's a really good way to, um, as well, lead into my final suggestion for this bit. Okay. Which is My Journey to Lhasa by Alexandra David Neal. 
Um, <laughs> it's from 19... Oh, it's the early 1920s. And it is about the first Western woman who was received by the Dalai Lama and entered uh, Lhasa in Tibet. Wow. It's... She is an amazing woman. You have to um, bear in mind at some points that it is a story of a rich white woman travelling in Victorian sure. times. Sure. So it's of a very particular time and context. And she has um, an incredible liberty, possesses it. But she also is a remarkable figure. She studied Buddhism for 14 years, was an anarchist, a Freemason. And when she was 55... She disguised herself and, with the um, assistance of her teenage companion, Yongden, mm-hmm. she wow. travelled into Lhasa at a time where it was forbidden for Western people to do so. Mm-hmm. And it's technically it's a travel book, but at some level it's fiction because, Lord Lover, she, she does tell a good story of her own adventures. <laughs> Sure. As you know, you are your, she is her own, um, what publicity department. But, mm-hmm. equal- I mean, who else is going to do it? I know. It's like, <laughs> well, look, I did it. I'm taking full credit for this. And fair enough. Yeah. Love. Because at a time when, um, women and particularly like rich people traveled in very noticeable, very rich, opulent style, she got her rags on, dirtied up her face, um, went in on foot and tramped into the city and became kind of like this legend uh, for travellers, for people, for the, yeah, for the culture. She she loved Tibet and she sang its praises and protected it as much as she could, I think, and respected it in an incredible fashion. It's a brilliant, bonkers, strange book there's a bit in it where her and Yongden are stuck on a mountainside and they are basically going to freeze to death there's snow coming down it's uh it's defcon one so to speak and she goes and hides out in a cave with him and through their practice of a buddhist principle manage to heat their bodies up to a certain level and survive the cold temperatures Wow. I know. So you just read this, think, you're amazing. Like, I think, yeah. <laughs> I think perhaps, you know, there's some of this that I maybe would sit down and go, really, love, did we really do this? <laughs> um, but I kind of love the fact that it's all here and presented in such an unabashed, unashamed, I wanted to travel, I had the chance to do it, here's this amazing culture that I fell in love with. So yeah, I'm yet to visit Tibet, but it is a place that I really would love to go to. And it's primarily because of this book that made it just go, this sounds amazing. And yeah, um, it, yeah, I, I haven't been to Tibet either. I, I did get to go to uh, Dharamsala, oh, nice. which is where the, I, he was not there, but at the time, this is probably like 12 years ago. Um, that's where the Dalai Lama was living because Tibet had been absorbed by China. Uh-huh. So I don't know that I don't know the situation there now, but um, it was pretty. Uh, I don't want to say magical because that is sort of discrediting um, 
the spirituality of it, but it was... It was a big moment. It was, it was yeah. yeah. It was wow. very cool. So, yeah, I think... Um, did we want to throw anything else into the literary nonfiction discussion? Um, just my own book. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to, but uh, you can, y'all can find me on um, social media. It's all over that. I won't let it get past you if you follow me there. <laughs> um, but uh, I do think that um, when you're writing nonfiction, just from my own um, perspective, I think I can talk about that a little bit. Yeah, certainly. Um, it's a... Uh, no matter how honest you want to be, which is very honest, um, always for me, um, there's just some stuff that people aren't going to write down. Yeah. Like there's going to be some things they miss. And as a writer, you just kind of have to decide what the truth was based on like the path of least resistance, what would probably have happened. Um, and it can be like a very important piece of information. Like how old was she? Yeah. That is lied about or no one wrote it down because, you know, she was working class. So who cares? Hmm. Or um, or it could be something like very trivial, like what was her favorite candy? Yeah. You know, and then you kind of go down the path of like, well, it was probably something that was accessible to her, but not commonplace so it was like a treat you know like yeah. you kind of have to make some decisions based on the, the what things you do that now. you know yeah and put them all together um, yeah i get that yeah and so i think that it um is fun to do that as long as you're doing it uh, fun and fine i guess i should say to do that as long as you're doing it responsibly not taking things out of context not knowing for sure that you're wrong yeah that makes that sense. point of ethics that kicks in isn't it where you just think okay can I make a reasoned assumption at this point or am I just making it up? And if you're making it up, right. that's the point where you kick in and go, no. Yeah, and I, I'm definitely on the lenient side of that. Like, I think it's fine to compress characters and time Yeah, uh, for the sake of a story. And then there are some people who would be like, absolutely not. You have to tell it exactly the way it happened or it's not the truth. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know that that's the case if the greater truth suffers for including facts that don't matter is that bad i don't don't know really um it's a judgment call too like you have to trust the writer i think this is one of those things that it's so personal and so intimate you can't quite figure it out until you're in that moment or reading that thing or trying to make that story you can just kind of try to do it with the respect that the source narrative requires of you. Yeah. And there's no kind of holy right or holy um, wrong space. It's just doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Just do the right just do thing. The right it's thing. that simple. <laughs> so, yeah. We're full, full of the life lessons today. You know who's full of life lessons is Samuel L. Jackson, because we just quoted him twice in 45 minutes. Oh, see, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Let's see if we can get him on and just go, can we just stop quoting you? Oh, I love him so much. Uh, I do. So let's wind the Samuel L. Jackson fangirl moment <laughs> off. Okay. Um, as much as it pains me, we'll return to it in the future. Uh, and tell okay, me what good. you are reading at the moment. Okay, so I just started reading a collection of short stories by Lydia Yuknovich. I believe that's how you say her last name. Is mm-hmm. that right? I will go for that. 
Okay. Um, it's called Verge. It is, it is either just come out or is coming out very soon. Um, I believe it may come out between now and the time that this podcast um, will be available to listen. So um, I definitely recommend it because um, they're short stories, but they really pack a punch. Nice. And it is like part of uh, it's. It deals with the uncanny, but in the matter of very real issues. Yeah. So I like it a lot so far. I'm about halfway through it. Oh, that's I good. I really like it. Yeah. What are you reading? Uh, so I have been sort of thinking all about identity and gender and figuring out who you are and who you want to be in the world. And it's made me go back. I was realizing that um, we'd not really talked about poetry yet here. and. I thought, if not true. Uh, now, when, you know, can I, can I do it? So, yeah, um, I'm reading If Not Winter, Fragments of Sappho by Anne Carson, which mm-hmm. is a collection of the fragments of Sappho, a female poet from ancient Greece. And mm-hmm. her work was found um, on a rubbish tip and it was all burnt and destroyed. And it's only the fragments of these poems which remain. So Anne Carson has here translated them from their ancient Greek and placed them into English. And it's a beautiful book. It is amazing how much emotion and power and potency can be um, packed into like three lines or three words. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And also, if you are... um, into like bite-sized Sappho tweets uh so bite-sized Sappho there is a Twitter um account that tweets bite-sized moments of her so you can get these little kind of pearls of joy dropped on your Twitter feed and they're so beautiful should we link to that in the show we will pop a link to that in that is an excellent plan cool well okay so we will have that Twitter account linked in the show notes. And where can they find you, Louise? So you can find me online at uh, didyouoverstoptothink.com. And I'm on Twitter and I am at chalet fan there. Cool. Um, and this is Mary Kay. Uh, you can find me, MaryKayMcBrayer.com, but also on Twitter, MKMcBrayer, and Instagram at MaryKayMcBrayer. It's just, again, my name dropped the whole time. So if you just type in my name, some stuff will come up. Um, yeah, so we have lots of social media fun for y'all as well. And um, this was a, I really enjoyed this episode. I'm glad I got to talk about literary fiction and Samuel L. Jackson and Marlon Brando. I know, it's like the whole, <laughs> All it, in one time. it's like a holy trinity. That's great. It's like everything I've ever loved. I know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if, if um, you think we've missed out titles that you think should get a shout out or... Yeah. things or topics yeah do get in touch with us because we love hearing from you um yeah it's great we really do yeah so thank y'all for getting in touch if you are um thank you for leaving us reviews if you have and thank you so much for listening thank and you. we'll talk to y'all soon bye bye <laughs>